Hey, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Music Avenue Podcast. If you don't already, make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Music Avenue Pod and like us on Facebook by searching the same thing so you can stay up to date with future episodes and see who my next guest on the show will be. I don't want to keep y'all waiting any longer, so sit back, relax, have a drink, and enjoy this little stroll down Music Avenue. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode two of the Music Avenue podcast. I am your host, Gabe Schoenman, and joining me today is someone who I have had the honor and privilege to learn from and work with in the past. She is a jazz vocalist, a contemporary singer-songwriter, an educator, an arranger, just an overall badass of a human being. She's released four, I believe four, albums as a solo artist, three of them being fully original. She's also a part of a Grammy award-winning vocal group, you may or may not have heard of them, called the New York Voices. She's also a part of two other vocal groups. And on top of that, she's not only an inspiration to me, but to many, many others as well, not just for her incredible musicianship, but also for the way she views life and also how she brings the best out of everyone that she meets. Everyone, please give it up for Lauren Kinnon. Wow, Gabe, (laughs) I'm just so honored. And to have that kind of introduction uh, is so so sweet. Um, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you joining me today. Um, how, how are you? How has your 2021 been? It's been a while since we've seen each other. It's been yeah over a year and a half, I think. Yep. Yep. It's, um, well, as you know, um, we're all just hunkered down. Uh, I stopped touring. Um, I came home on like March 7th of last of 2020 and I've been home in my house, um, since then. And one of the things that is really crazy about this whole um, experience is that I've never been home this long <laughs> in my entire adulthood in That's my crazy. house. So, um, it, it's been really nice to have a chance to number one, uh, sort of put down some roots and stop, uh, and number two, enjoy, enjoy being home and find a rhythm that's different than the crazy rhythm that I have been living for my whole adulthood. And, um, and then sort of find a new way to create and, and survive also, uh, right. <laughs> in this extraordinary time that we're living in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I'm, I, yeah, we're all in the same, we're on the same boat. And I always think it's very fa- I mean, this time is awful. I mean, there's no denying it for anybody, but I always thought, of how crazy it is how well we've been able to adapt and try to make life seem semi-normal. Well, I think human beings are extraordinary in that way. I mean, we can adapt if we want to, right? Mm -hmm. It's, that is part of the, um, there is a, there is a choice involved in the, in that. But um, I think what's really nice about being an artist though is the muscles that we're developing in the course of our of our learning experience in making music um, is that if you aren't adaptable, you're 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 not going to survive in this particular um, lane of 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 the working industry. It's just right. you've got to be someone who says, "Okay, um, that didn't work. Let me address that. Let me um, see what I own and what I can fix." and and do I need to change and all those kinds of things, or do I need to pick a new alley way to go down? And, um, 
So I kind of think what it's done is it's shown our uh, extraordinary ability to to pivot. But I think what's interesting about your situation is the higher learning institutions for all of their, um, you know, they're, they're big, they're these big businesses now. And right. so, but they've actually had to pivot and change and really listen to, you know, teachers, not just musicians, but teachers and figure out, right, we're going to need to change and we're going to need to change fast. So I kind of mm-hmm. like that it's it's asked a lot of us as a culture to figure out what we can do. And then maybe in hindsight, as we emerge out of this, maybe there's some really great things that we'll never put back in the bag that will yeah. be forever changed. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I've had talks with friends about that. Just what, I mean, especially with even air travel or just like corporate events and gigs and stuff like that. It's just, you know, they've made it work so you don't have to travel as much and office space is not being needed as much just yeah. for big corporations. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But and everybody's got their home studio set up, right? Look yeah. at you with your home studio rig is set <laughs> up. And now everybody, you know, has to address that in some way. So I didn't really have my home studio fully set up like I do now. And yeah. so now I really can just take that call from somebody when they need something right now. Yeah, which is great. Um, so do you want to go <laughs> back in time, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> it won't be too painful. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be. Don't worry. So we're going to turn the clock back okay. to uh, everything before college. We can take it one step at a time. Just okay. your upbringing and um, your childhood. So yeah. did you have siblings? Did you have a musical family? Did you do a lot of music yourself? Did you play an instrument? Were you in choir? What were your hobbies? We'll we'll get into it, but just sure. kind of, yeah, more of the depth of that. What did you listen to? What did your parents listen to? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, but- It's we'll- a lot. Well, I, I am one of four children, so I think that in and of itself taught me a lot of life survival skills because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're uh, one of four, you have to learn how to share- very, very early on. And you have to learn the notion of it's not your turn very early on. So that's good. That's good for everybody, but that's certainly good for making you a good playmate, um, in, in life and in music. Um, growing up, um, I was kind of a a computer brat is what we, how I describe it in that, um, you know, my dad was a software writer, uh, in the computer industry. So we were moving as the industry was really booming, you know, with, uh, and finally ending up, you know, at Intel when that was all like the big, the big to do. And so I had, um, I was born in Massachusetts, but I, uh, we moved to Arizona. So I was there for, um, up until my freshman year of high school. And then we moved to Oregon, um, my sophomore year of high school. Uh, and I, and so I kind of had, you know, two elementary schools, two high schools, two colleges, many different homes. And so I was really also kind of a nomad in training too, in that, um, you know, we didn't put down roots and live in one place. And so the family really, really even more so was that much more important. Right. Mm, And that if we were a core and we were cool, um, then, then, then we had a foundation. Um, and so, yeah, we were really tight, a really tight family. And I super tight with my, my 
two sisters and brother uh, to this day. And um, we, you know, funnily enough, we were not um, like my dad was a, uh, you know, an amateur saxophone player. So when we were in Arizona, um, he was in Dixieland bands and, and a big band. And so we'd wow. go to these shows on the weekend and we just were, thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> but it was, you know, again, really homespun. And, um, and but uh, we took a lot of pride in it. And um, I listened to whatever my parents had in their listening library, you know. Uh, yeah. So it was everything from, you know, Paul Desmond and Carmen McRae and Ella and the Brecker Brothers and Cannonball and Nancy Wilson and all of those people. But as much back back in the 70s, right, in the 60s, it was, you know, Carol King and Joni Mitchell and Stevie Wonder. And so those records... Um, I just have a, you know, songs in the key of life. I have a primal feeling about that album because I, I really held it in my lap and I sat in front of the record player and I stared at the lyrics and I tried to dream myself into the music, you know? So, yeah. um, so I wasn't really, you know, we weren't a family that were like, yeah, we're going to go to like the latest concert, uh, that, you know, Bob Dylan's coming to town or whatever. We just were, we were, I guess that was partly because I think we're really insulated and really core driven. So we just yeah. kind of, you know, uh, listened a lot, but, but it was really whatever was around us, um, and available. Um, so I didn't see a lot of concerts as a kid is what I'm trying to say in terms of big concerts. Yeah. Okay. Um, just, just jazz clubs and hanging. Um, but I guess as a result of that though, that all of that feels really normal to me, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I guess I started singing in terms of learning tunes, standards with the family. And I'd stand stand up at the dinner table and I'd, you know, sing a Mama cast tune or something. Did your sibling sing at, at all? That? Did your sibling sing at all? Or was you it know, mostly just you? I think I was the one that it initially that was um, encouraged and seemed to have the most interest in okay. being asked to call to get stand up to, to sing something for the for the guests at the dinner table, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I right. was that kid. I was oh, that I was, one. I was too. My siblings were too young. So <laughs> yes. I was like, why don't you play this song on the piano? Yeah. It's like, oh, and you're my like, God. Yeah, you're like, oh, I really couldn't. And then you're like, I'm totally doing it, right? <laughs> right, so, yeah, always. Yeah. Um, but my, but Lotta, my mom was kind of this wonderful free reeling woman, um, she just could do anything. She could, she was paint. She was a painter. She was, um, you know, raised four kids. Hello. She was, um, mm -hmm. she started small businesses, um, to help, you know, young pregnant women. I mean, she was wow. really forward thinking. So we had like teenage pregnant women living in our basement be to just help them before they, you know, get them, get them to the next place. So our life was kind of bohemia in certain ways. <laughs> And, yeah. um, a lot of empathy and a lot of, um, acceptance early on. So, um, yeah, the arts was just welcome. So, uh, I started to, um, after we left Arizona, um, my sister, my older sister got engaged and married at like 19. Oh she was God. very young and she's still married to her high school sweetheart, which is just wow. so insane and awesome. <laughs> And I sang at her wedding with my dad's big band. And that was the moment that I went, holy shit. 
How old were you when you did this? I was 17. So, oh, wait, all right, so are you this? You're, are you the baby of the four? Or are you? No, I'm the second, second. oldest. Okay. Um, okay, okay. So I'm so I'm 17. I mean, I'd been dabbling before, and I was in the ballet studio pretty religiously. So I I I was thinking I was going to be a dancer. Wow. But when I sang in front of the big band, I was like, <laughs> Yeah. This is it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. I literally lost my mind. I mean, it was such a, a such an animal uh, reaction to it and, and instantaneous. So I think, yeah. you know, if, the, if you, if everybody has that moment, like think about that moment where you were like, oh yeah, I'm so in this like all the way now. Oh yeah. A thousand percent. Like, yeah. I don't know. When, when was yours when you were like, oh yeah, this <sighs> is it. There, there are a few. Um, one of them I think was in middle school. Mm-hmm. I think I had sang <laughs> when I was your man by Bruno Mars. There was this whole fundraiser, yeah. and my mom was the host, and she had some of her musicians play, and I sang in front of the you know the gymnasium. Of course, when you're uh, 11, 12 years old, you're That's freaking huge. out. Yeah, yeah, shaking in your boots. Oh my god, yeah. yeah, I was I was so nervous. But you had yes. your friends cheering for you. You had yep. family. You had teachers, and I remember just hearing the crowd after, and I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I just this had is- that. Yeah, that whole moment. And then singing um, at state senior year with Carrie Marsh leading mm-hmm. was yeah. like, yeah, bad. just incredible. Just yeah. That, yeah, there's, there's a few moments. But those are, yeah, those are two of the big ones where I was like, yeah, this is incredible. This is it. Yeah. But I didn't have like, I wasn't in choir in high schools or, Interesting. or uh, I didn't do any of that. Um, I was, like I said, I was kind of a, a very serious ballet student. And I think that's really mostly born out of the fact that we moved so much and it was so I could turn to the ballet studio and be home. Yeah. Um, so there was part partly was that. So a lot of my high school friends, when I finally, you know, went off to music school and then or, you know, got back in touch with them 10 years later, they were like, you know, and I'm a full fledged singer and this and that. And they're like, when you never <laughs> sang like you don't. Like yeah. we didn't even identify you as anybody that did that. That's insane. So, uh, did you it, ever think about doing choir or doing a show or anything? Was that, or did your parents ever say, "Hey, maybe you should try you this"? Know, or did I, you just not want anything to do with it? Ever? I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to. Um, I just didn't know how to do that kind of stuff. I was maybe fairly shy in certain ways. And, um, like I was a funny kid and, but that was also my reflex to just be funny. Um, but it was a really vulnerable, it's a vulnerable thing to sing. You know that it's a vulnerable thing too. So I think my, I just was too, um, worried about it and, um, didn't have the, the stamina maybe at that stage in my life. Um, and needed to build up an identity and build up confidence. Uh, and I just, I just don't think I had it, the stamina for it, um, in high school, but, um, but when I, but what I was doing in high school was going and sitting in at the jazz clubs in Portland at that point when we moved to Portland. And so that was where I started to just secretly have this secret love affair with, with music that was on my own terms. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to sing in front of the, all my peers in a gymnasium, which is horrifying. I could just go to a jazz club and 
mess up or do something really cool. And I just learned on the bandstand. So how many times would you, well, how often would you go like every month? Would you just go every weekend or every other week? I would go with my dad because he and I would go to the jam sessions. So every Sunday night, it was either at Delavan's or what have you, um, the Jazz Quarry in Portland. And they had a really cool jazz scene in Portland at the time. Um, there was one, at one point it was me and Chris Bodie were sitting, you know, in the, in the restaurant side of the jazz quarry because we were underage. So you couldn't be in the bar unless you were on the bandstand. But Chris and I were, were from Portland and, um, you know, I just, uh, was one of those people that was willing to make mistakes on the bandstand. And, um, I, I'm a fairly, I'm still a really in the moment. Yeah. singer and performer so it just fits my um yeah. my reflexes mm-hmm. so let's so okay i want to emphasize this moment at your sister's wedding when you were 17 you sang you thought holy shit <laughs> yeah so did you think or have a thought was, was that your junior year or senior year of high school let's see i would have one of the probably two. been a senior in high school at 17. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you sang and did you think, or did you have your mind up at what you wanted to do in college? Did you kind of think, oh, maybe no, I could try I music? Had, no, I went, I went to college for three years as like a psychology major and wow. creative writing. And I, I actually told my parents, I absolutely did not want to be an artist. I wanted to be, uh, a, a woman who had a badass job and <laughs> career and I didn't want to have to worry about, you know, an art, an artistic lifestyle that would be rocky or, or, and no guarantee and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And, um, so jokes on me. <laughs> <laughs> Did they come up to you and say maybe you should go into music in college? Was that was their idea, and then you just shot it down? Initially, yeah. um, well, you know, look, I again, I was a child of of uh, a family of four, so also I didn't have like this this notion that exists now, where like, I mean, I have a a daughter the same age as you. So you guys have been training, you know, you were artists in training at a very early age, you know, and then going up through the ranks. And then it was all about like, you're, you had a vision for yourself by the time you land at a university of Miami or for Ella, like Boston conservatory. It's like, you guys are athletes that have been training for, and to be ready for that kind of opportunity. Right. Um, I, it was a very different tempo when I was okay. growing up. And, and I think most musicians would describe their journey of how they came into music. Um, not everybody really understood you went to Oberlin or you went to New England Conservatory. You went to, you know, right. we, and so I think it was a bit more scrappy anyway. But I also didn't have a lot of options. I mean, we couldn't really afford um the, the place, I mean, I wanted to go to the university of Oregon and, and we just couldn't get me there, you know? And I, I went to Portland state university. I went to a city college and, um, you know, and I paid for those three years 
And I think that too was, uh, gave me a sense of ownership and it allowed me also in hindsight to explore Mm -hmm. and to play with a lot of different things. I had to finally put dance to bed. I was never going to be a professional dancer, though I loved it. And I had to go on a big, deep search of who I could be. And, um, so it wasn't, you know, like this expensive deep dive, but I, we, so, but I did, um, join finally the vocal jazz ensemble at Portland State University. Mm. And I will say that was the other aha moment because I had never sung close harmony. Right. Yeah. But I had been raised around the big band book. Right. Yeah. 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 So I went from a singer who could sing my funny Valentine and nice work. If you can get it at the jam session to second soprano doing, um, uh, you know, uh, Alfie or something with, with, with a big group that was really good. And everybody was really experienced. Um, the advantage I had was that I was so unbelievably naive that I didn't even know what I didn't know. So yay, naivete, right? I was just like, I can hang with these guys, right? right. So naivete is sometimes really great to have. And that naive ego, hello, are you familiar with that one? (laughs) Ego in our youth I don't know what you're talking about. I know, exactly. (laughs) Um, So I was like, I can totally hang with these people. But then, you know, that first time that I had to sing a close half step next to, you know, the person to the left and to the right. Sure. I was that girl that was like, I had my ears in my fingers and my ears. Like I can't do this, but I learned really quick and I understood it primally because I had listened so much to the music yeah. that once I figured out how to do it, I was like, Oh damn. Again, <laughs> I am so, I'm so in. And the teacher was also at that point, she was just like, Lauren, you need to, you need to go deep, deep on this. And interesting. you need to, you need to go to music school. Wow. You know, she was, she was part of it. And that was the point where after three years, my parents went, yeah, why don't you go audition for Berkeley and see if you can get in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So that so you finally decided to audition for Berkeley. You only went there, right, for about a year, year and a half? Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? <laughs> well, first of all, traveling so across crazy. the country again back to the state you were born in. And then also being in a completely different environment. You're in a city. I don't know what right. Portland State's campus is like. It's probably not, you know, in the middle of- Not a, like Boston. Yeah. No, <laughs> not right. like in the middle of Boston. Yeah. Um. So what, yeah, what was your experience like there and how did you have another- Holy shit moment. I did. I did. (laughs) I, um, again, think about this, Gabe, because I still have a, just a reaction to the audition process for college for Ella. And I, I still want to drink heavily after, (laughs) after thinking about it and what we went through (sighs) and how much money we spent or just, and just the stress of it. I never went to see the campus. Of Berkeley. I, I auditioned. I sent them a tape. I got in. I packed two suitcases and I left Oregon and I moved to Boston. Oh my God. What made you choose? I never even looked. I never even. (laughs) I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, how could you? Did you get, did you ever, how did you choose Berkeley out of all the schools? Like who, did someone tell you or did you have this, like, have you thought about it or 
you know, did someone tell you? I think it was my parents at that point because they were Boston people, you know, so they had, you know, mm. they were they were people of the, that town and I had lots of relatives there and and such. So I think I think both my mom and my dad were like, well, you, you should go to you should go to Boston. And we knew a couple of um, Jimmy Mosier was a friend of my father's who was just an extraordinary saxophone player and, and teacher on faculty there. And yeah. there were a couple people that were sort of, um, you know uh, connections. But, um, so I think it was a little bit of a dream at that point to go, okay, our, well then let's see if we can get, you can get into that school. And then they were really down for supporting that at at that point. Um, that, but you know, I will also say I was 21. Yeah. I had gone to city college for three years. I had worked, um, all through college, uh, at, you know, what would be like a Nordstrom's in downtown Portland, Um, and I think I wouldn't change any of my journey because it it really did make, help me appreciate number one, where I finally ended up. Right. I was so ravenous. You couldn't feed me fast enough (laughs) when I got there. I was like, just, I'm auditioning for everything. I have no idea what I'm doing, but that, that was a very different girl than the one that wouldn't audition for a play or a choir in high school, right? Yeah. This was a girl who was like, bring it. I'm <laughs> I'm ready. And and so I I have no regrets for the fact that it took me a while to find it. You yeah. know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And maybe there's also a wonderful sort of prophetic beauty in that because um because there's lots of ways to find yourself and find um, you know, your next place you need to be. So yes, you're right. My aha moment when I walked into the school and there's that door on Mass Ave where you, you're at the top of the stairs and you it's not like this anymore because they've remodeled it so much, but you look yeah. down and there's just bank, there's just rows and rows of um, you know, benches and everybody's out with their sack with their horns, with their guitars, and they're all hanging. And I was like, these are my people. <laughs> this, these That's are my awesome. people. This yeah. is so, I, I was really so excited to get there. So, yeah. So basically instantaneous and the, that year and a half at Bert, well, was your year, year and a half? About a year and a half. I, cause I, I went, I went straight. I mean, I thought this was a good idea. Do I think it's a good idea now what I did? Um, I'm basically, I, I had five years of college, you know, because yeah. I went through summer school and this and that. And I just felt like. Um, that was, you know, enough to pay for, Mm -hmm. uh, to get my degree. I, all my stuff transferred to, from Portland state. So I, all I did at Berkeley was music. I didn't have to do any gen ed. I was done with all that stuff. So, um, I was, it was music 24 seven for me. That's awesome. Now, did you focus more on. Did you write at all while you were in Berkeley or was it more just the jazz vocal group stuff or more and more like, you know, standards, more of that area? Or was it kind of a mix of both? You know, when I got there, Berkeley's changed a lot, you know, as most programs and vocal programs and jazz vocal programs, they've all they've all changed and really developed a, a curriculum, I think, that is um, uh really great. But Mm -hmm. at the time, um, there wasn't really 
a lot for jazz studies for singers. Had I gone to the school and, you know, toured it, I might have known that. <laughs> However, um, you know, I still probably would have gone to that school. So the, the point that I guess I'm trying to say is um, there wasn't much for me to do in jazz. So I basically just auditioned for every small ensemble that I could. Okay. And, um, there wasn't a vocal jazz ensemble there. So it was all just rhythm section and you could be a singer and, uh, the other three can sing background vocals and everybody just calls, you know, writes charts. It was very, um, I'm sure very different than it is now. But the thing that changed my life was auditioning for the gospel choir. Mm, Okay. It was such an extraordinary ensemble directed by Dennis Montgomery and um, David Chandler. And then the um, Orville Wright was the teacher. So there was student teachers who were steeped in the tradition. Yeah. And uh, I, it just really just changed my life. You know, it was, it was music I'd never sung. Um, I always really liked um, pop music and R and B music and blues. So it also really fit with my sensibility of how, I like to phrase and, you know, listening to, to Aretha and Shaka and all the, the, the soul singers. I mean, I was really into that. So, so the only thing, so gospel choir was a big deal. And, um, you know, I was, I mean, Layla Hathaway was in the ensemble. I mean, there was, she was in it with you. Yes. Heavy, heavy, heavy people in that ensemble. (laughs) And I just, had to, you know, hunker down and figure out how to hang. Yeah. You know, and, and be quiet when I was, (laughs) you know, and, and just try and figure out how to, how to hang. And, and I loved the music so much and I loved the whole experience. So that was a big change for me. Yeah. Um, but I will say, uh, I don't know why the perception was that by the time I got to Berkeley, the teachers thought I I was a professional singer from Portland. I don't know why people <laughs> thought that. Is that seriously? Um, maybe it's because I carried myself with some uh, sense of, of. But I started gigging with the teachers. In other words, I was I wow. started immediately just was asked to, you know, do general business gigs up at the the local um, clubs, and so I was learning tunes, and. Uh, trying and hanging with um with really great players so that was my education as well yeah when i got there oh yeah i can't even imagine just trying to hang with them and well yeah. not really fend for yourself but all, i mean kinda. in a way yeah yeah kind of i mean i didn't really i think the, the thing that was too bad about when i look back in hindsight is i really should have gone to berkeley longer right mm-hmm. i did i never learned how to be a music student because I never went to music school uh, long enough. So all I went to, uh, so Berkeley, and also Berkeley was reputation-wise almost thought of as like a trade school in a way. It gave you the skills. Here's how you write a chart. Here's how you, you know, read chord changes. Here's how, here's how, you know. And so I was just thinking my end game was like get in and get out. Interesting. Okay. I, I wish I'd known otherwise to say no. Right. Really take all the arranging you can take. Really take all, the, you know, yeah. whatever. I just, yeah. I don't know. I just never really, 
approached it that way. So I just carried on with what I'd been doing, which is like pretty much, you know, (laughs) making it up and then picking up knowledge when I didn't know something and filling in the holes. Yeah. So is that more so just listening to, you know, faculty or just listening to other albums and to your peers? Or was it more just you sitting in a practice room and kind of just road mapping what to do or how to, you know, approach something that you're not really too familiar with? Right. I think I was a, um, a student that started to develop, um, again, an ear for, had an ear for jazz, had an ear for spontaneous collaboration is what also started to emerge mm-hmm. that when I was hanging out with people, suddenly I was writing or arranging or throwing out ideas. Um, so again, uh, just discovering what perhaps might be um, assets or skills that you have. So listening, yeah. transcribing solos, that type type of thing um, appealed to me. Um, and I could do it and sing along with the, with the, with the solos. And so, um, just learning how to do those things was, was important. And I certainly encourage that with all my students as well, mimicking and mirroring someone that you really admire and figuring out what the heck they're doing and how they're doing it, um, is, is the secret to, uh, then finding your own individual choices and style. So I think all that stuff, um, it was a very competitive school. So I auditioned for every showcase. I auditioned for everything. Yeah. And I was willing to be a background singer for everybody. When they said, what do you, who, who will tool, who'll do that? I'll do it. Who, who'll choreograph it? I will, who, who will write all the parts for, um, the Aretha Franklin? I will. Yeah. And I, and there was equally a couple, a couple other people that are still dear friends of mine that were, that were same. And we were like in it to win it. We're like, yeah, nice. we're yeah. doing that. So cool. I think it was just, I was lucky to be in school with some really dynamic people who were, um, similar minded and we were just making shit up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fake it till you make it in a way. We we would suggest shows to the teachers and they'd be like, okay, you guys want to do that? Okay, you, you do it, you know? And there were some really great arrangers at the time. And, you know, when people would come in, it would be like Shaka would come in and sing at the graduation. And so, you know, I went to school with Joe Martin, Arif Martin's son. So suddenly you're, you are hanging with these people and um, singing backgrounds for them or really immersing yourself. So it, it was really one of those schools, I think like yours too, where they bring you, they bring you who's on fire right now in a way. Mm-hmm. And you guys get to touch it and yeah. feel it. Which and, is amazing. Which is kind of nothing transfers some, you know, like that. Yeah. Then you're standing next to like someone that you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, literally. It's, it's always, yeah, that is, it's such a good way of learning and picking up on things for sure. Just from what I've experienced. Yeah. So a few more questions just about college. Let's about the experience for more about you in particular. Did you in college ever think, did you want to just do more gigs and, you know, sing with a combo or did you ever think, oh, I want to become a solo artist and kind of make something of myself and 
tour around the country or the world, like what was your thought process? Or even like as you were graduating college, like what was going through your head just about you and where you wanted to take your your career? Mm-hmm. I was all about um, writing and producing my own stuff. And I was all about um, wanting to make a, a solo career for myself. No, no question about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was um, working at a, a recording studio, a jingle house, and <clears throat> my, my writing partner and roommate, Eve Nelson, um, she and I would basically, you know, she would work by day and, uh, and by night after hours, we'd be in the recording studio on recording until the wee hours, <clears throat> excuse me. And again, you know, you can't teach passion Yeah. and you can't teach, um, someone to want something so much that they, um, you know, will die without it. Like <laughs> you don't want to teach that, but I mean, right. <laughs> uh, we were, we were just insatiable and we were like, we're, we were in the studio learning how to record and, and produce. And so, um, I was really interested in becoming, um, a songwriter, singer, songwriter, and an artist. Um, but I think the thing that, uh, yeah. And so I made a demo and graduated from Berkeley and really started thinking of myself as a songwriter and, uh, and, finally moved to New York. So I, it was really a, a couple of years before I moved to New York after graduating, um, because I wanted to save some money. I wanted to, yeah. again, produce a, a project and have some, have my sort of my demo, so to speak, um, to bring into the record labels and try yeah. and get a deal. Yeah. So <laughs> which is hysterical. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to dream big to be big. I mean, I think that's the phrase. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You have to dream. You have to dream and you have to have, again, that, that chutzpah <laughs> that probably, you know, any, if any, any reasonable person would say, wow, you might be a little bit out of your league on this phone call, but I guess make that phone call, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You just don't know. Um, yeah. So you graduated <clears throat> Berkeley. In '86, mm-hmm. I want to say, and mm-hmm. it's you. How many years did it? Did you move to New York right after you graduated, or if you said a few years after? I I gra- I graduated in a, in '86, and I moved to New York in '89. Okay. Um, I was actually making good money in Boston, uh, singing jingles, and yeah. gigging, and again, sort of learning how to be, you know, a person post college, which. <laughs> is yeah is a really big deal and I, I i i will never diminish the the transition from college into 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 sort of real life because it can be it can be terrifying so if you have set yourself up with a work ethic mm-hmm. um and an expectation and and an ability to you know put some dates in a book a gig a deadline um yeah you know that's kind of the stuff that that, that helps, helps yeah. you stay buoyed, uh, in the times when you're kind of questioning what the hell am I doing with myself? Right. Right. Yeah, for <laughs> <That> sure. happens. <laughs> yeah. So New York, was that always a city in your head, even 
like, I mean, was it as soon as you got to Berkeley, you're like, I want to go to New York or was it as, you know, a slow decision in your mind that you kind of had to convince yourself into that was like, I, you know, New York is calling my name. It really was a, it was a last minute decision because Mm. I actually did not want to move to New York more than anything. Um, Really? I really liked Boston, you know, and I identified with it and I was kind of a Portland girl too. So I, I just, um, New York and especially New York in the eighties, man, it, (laughs) it was rough. It was rough. And in all the, you know, in good ways, uh, in so many good ways, but I mean, it was also like, you know, you could really be, uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And as a young female, uh, that's, and my best friend from Portland was at NYU. So she, so I would visit New York all the time and go see her and crash at her apartment. And we, we definitely raged in New York, um, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. And then she was a Broadway actress. So, you know, I was going by that time I was, um, going to, she landed on Broadway. So I'd go and hang out with her and we, I felt, you know, like I, I was seeing New York in, in other ways, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, but my roommate and I, Eve Nelson, you know, uh, she decided before me that she's like, I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, I don't remember if she got the jingle writing job already, but, um, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not, I, I'm not going. And then like, uh, like a month later, I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you gave in. It's like, <laughs> God well, damn if you're it. going, I mean, are you really going? You're going to go without me? Right. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, we didn't remain roommates at that point, but, um, you know, I really didn't want to go. But once I got to New York again, it was like, listen, it, you got to again, you got to figure out who you are yeah, and how to do it. Yeah. And you're still in New York now, aren't you? I have, I have been there since I'm 25 years old, basically. Wow. So, That's you know, I, we still have our apartment in the city. We're out on the east end of Long Island right now, but, okay. um, you know, I, I love New York Yeah, and New York makes me, it holds my, my hand to the fire. Yeah. You know, to the extent that you just can't, you can't fake it there. And the other great thing is it's, it's a joke, but it's like Constantinople. It's the crossroads of the world. So if you want to make interesting music, um, you're going to meet interesting people from all over the world. And by virtue of that, your music is going to be, um, super voluptuous and colorful and nothing, nothing that's just like straight up this or that it's, it'll be juicy. Right. Yeah. So you get to New York and did you have kind of, did you want to continue the jingle side producing? Did you want to continue more of the solo work or did you want to do more of the jazz gigging side or did you have other aspirations to further your career? Did you kind of want to continue what you did in Boston? Well, you have to do it all. I mean, that's the, that's until you are, until you've landed the gig and the job, you are doing jingles you're writing songs. I started writing songs for other artists. Mm. You are um, getting a, a temp job at a jingle house. You're going to wait tables. You're going to sing some weddings. Uh, yeah. 
you are going to do everything of which, of which I did. And then I would save up my, my money from tips, uh, and do a show about every three months at the bitter end. Okay. And because I came from Berkeley and a, and a mentality when, you know, our shows were like bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, uh, three background singers, wow, horn section, uh, you know, you were like, that's how you're like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's how you produce a, a sound. Right. So every band. show that I would do at the bitter end would be so expensive to pay everybody, yeah. even though we're all kids, you know, and it, it was, it was all the money I had to do these yeah. shows. But, um, I do, you know, and I do my sets of original music and, and I would save up for that. So, awesome. and you would try to get everybody you could dream of at, at that one show to hopefully have someone be there. That's either a manager or a right. record executive or, uh, you know, all the pie in the sky things that yeah. you go, that's so goofy and <laughs> yet so wonderful. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that was really, I was doing everything I could do to make money and yeah. write and produce my mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Um, quick side question. Hmm. What were some of the companies that you would do jingles for? Um, I did cool ones. Yeah. I mean, I did Johnson and Johnson. I did a, I did, well, the big one that I got was Burger King. Mm. Uh, and I did all the background vocals. It was a jazz one too. So I did all the background vocals and the lead and it paid for my wedding. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> and my down payment on my house. Oh my God. Wow. And it was the only one I ever had that did that. Yeah. You know? So I'm, I, the way I, I get to say that because I wasn't really, you know, a big first call jingle singer. I, I would get calls, but I mean, I wasn't like some of the Kings and Queens that were like really making cake back then. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I got on some contracts and, That's awesome. you know, would make a, you know, some, some money and that would definitely pay for my quote unquote jazz habit or, you know, music <laughs> habit as we used to joke about. Yeah. Right. No, for sure. So it helped and it all yeah. added, added up. And so That's every so once cool. in a while, yeah, you got, you got a Crest commercial, you know, at Christmas time and you're like, yes. Yeah, and you could see yourself on TV or hear yourself, not see yourself. Hear yourself, yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, that's I was so never cool. on camera. Yeah. <laughs> Me <Yeah>. neither. <laughs> I've never you done jingles be. though. Huh? Well, uh, you never know. It's a different industry now. Yeah. I will say that it, it really changed a lot. So, but if you ever get them, they're they can be very helpful. Yeah, that is true. Uh, okay, so you so eighty nine to ninety two. You're kind of you know. Hustling, doing gigs, all that stuff. So 1992, this, we're going to have to get to this point eventually. Yes. So this is the <laughs> the fateful year that you joined the New York Voices. So how did this... So your guitar player, essentially... Yeah. You know, Mark Schulman. Was, was the butterfly effect that got you to where you are now. Then, yeah. You know, to make a long story short. But yeah. how did that? how did that all start? Yeah. So I started to expand my songwriting. So I was kind of, when I moved to New York, I was kind of trying to be like the, the jazzy bluesy singer songwriter girl, you know, that was kind of the niche I was leaning into. And I still was doing that, but I was also really 
loving Sean Colvin and, and, um, Suzanne Vega and the more folkier things. And I was really into the story. And so I, my, my songwriting, um, was evolving and hence Mark Shulman was a really ambient coloristic, um, guitar player. And, um, he just, you know, I was looking to stretch out in my collaborating partners. Sure. And so I spoke to him about about that. And he really, he recommended I meet Peter Eldridge. Wow. And so um, Peter and I really met as songwriters and uh, lovers of really the singer-songwriter narrative in, in, in particular. Yeah. Um, so he was not really privy to any of my jazz background because we met just as two people, you know, we pl- were playing our stuff for each other and mine was kind of Anita Baker meets, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It was just all over the map. It was yeah. a, kind of a hot mess, but it was like <laughs> all, <laughs> all over the map. And, you know, and he, actually he's kind of a hot mess too, because he too, the problem with, you know, in a way being artists that are perennially curious about lots of different genres is yeah. they bleed into everything that you do. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there is truth in like when people come up to you and go, we got to kind of trim some fat here. Like you got to decide a one, at least a couple lanes, like, but when it's seven lanes, you know, you're just confusing, <laughs> you're confusing everybody. Yeah. So, but anyway, we met and, um, so wait, can I interrupt for yeah. a second? So did you know who the New York voices were before you I, had met Peter? I did. Okay. I knew them because, um, I remember I was waiting tables in, in Tribeca, this great, New York restaurant called Walkers. And I, I remember hearing national amnesia and I was like, wow. that's over the, you know, over the radio. And I was like, that's cool. Cause <laughs> it's kind of bluesy and it's kind of got some really good harmony and it's an original song. And so I was, I really was aware of that tune yeah. and aware of them. I didn't, I didn't own their record. You didn't, did you own, or did you really listen to any vocal groups? Like, I mean, Take Six, Manhattan Transfer, any well, of Take them Six of the Well, Take Six wasn't sort? really on the scene yet either. Take Six broke when New York Voices broke. Ah. Well, so yes, they were around. Yes, they were. Sorry, I take that back. Yes, I was aware of Take Six. Okay. Um, I was not a super uber uh, vocal jazz groupie. I just okay. wasn't. Yeah. I was, you know... I like, but I do like vocal production. Like I really liked, you know, anything that was vocally produced uh, and really thick and, and everything. But I wasn't like it, it's so much about the chorus. It was really just about pop writing and Quincy Jones and Shaka, you know, it's like all right. that kind of really great yeah. Luther Vandross kind of stuff, you know, that For was sure. really what I was interested in at, or my ear was tuned to. But so we met and we spent an afternoon together sharing music, laughing, of course, because you know how funny he is. Yeah. And it was really an afterthought as he was leaving. He's like, you know, we're holding auditions for New York Voices. Wow. Would you be interested in auditioning? And I was, I really actually said no at first because I had, I mean, I was, I had management. I had, I had a big old lawyer and lawyer bill. I mean, we were, we were shopping me. Yeah. And so I was like, (sighs) (laughs) were you in the works of making an album? Like as you were meeting Peter or like kind of sort of getting ready for a tour? I had a lot of stuff really 
in good shape. We okay. were still shopping me. Yeah. So I had a lot of tunes that were demoed and we were shopping and I was, again, writing for people and we were trying to figure out how to get me a deal. Mm. We were. Yeah. So at first I was like, I don't know. Um, and I called my manager and the first thing he said to me was like, you are so auditioning for that band. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and did you like that response or were you and like, you're out of your like, fucking mind? Yeah. And I was like, well, what's this going to do with, with taking us off of our path or what's going to sure. happen? He's like, this is a great opportunity. And, um, absolutely. So I called Peter, like I, he probably wasn't even at the subway at that point, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like right. he had left, I called my manager and I was on the phone with Peter going, you know what? Send me the music. Mm, okay. <laughs> so I got the music and I got round midnight. Oh my God. National amnesia, stolen moments. And <sighs> now that the love is over, I guess. But mostly round midnight, I started in on round midnight and I was like, shit, <laughs> I got to get this gig. Yeah, like, that was, I was your thought. Yeah, I was like, oh. Wow. You're just like, this is some heavy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is, now it had, now it was the gig I had to get. Okay. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it went definitely. from like, I don't know, maybe to like, I got to, I got to shut this down. Like who, all right. So what am I, what do I need to do? And so I learned the music and I remember shaking. I remember that audition. So what was it like? Did you have to go to a specific, was it like at one of their apartments or was it at like a rehearsal space? They had space? a professional space. It was a rehearsal space oh in the city. God. They were sitting behind a, like a six foot table, oh, you know? Oh no. Yes. Yeah. Like the panel. Yes. Oh my. And you're just standing there by yourself and you just had, you just had to sing it by yourself. This is your part? I had to sing. No, I had to sing a couple of solos. So I sang like God Bless the Child and I sang um, There Is No Greater Love. Those Uh, are my two tunes I did for them. Great choices. (laughs) And then they came up and we sang together the section that I had to learn. And the moment we sang together. Yeah. We were all, all heads were pointed in because it was five at the time. So Caprice Fox was there too. Okay, okay, okay. And this, the way that the sound felt, I always talk about the way the sound feels and the way the music feels and makes you feel. And I really felt like it was kind of, it was an energy force that happened that, um, I know for me, I can only speak to myself. It's like (laughs) the same thing as when, like when you kiss someone and you're like, that one's for me, you know, and you're like, you hope you feel the same way, but like, (laughs) this is definitely for me. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, damn, this is good. Like, this is really good. Did the other four show it on their faces or? I don't, I don't remember. I don't even, I could, how could I? Well, I'm sure you're probably concentrating. I was just like, I was like, oh my God, all business. But, right. Yeah. But Peter, oftentimes Peter will say, uh, it was obvious, you know, yeah. he just was like, we, we had, we had, we had at least a, over a hundred plus submissions. Oh we whittled God. it down to 80. We got it then down to 60, but then we got it down to, you know, 
basically there was there was three people but that was only ever Lauren is what is how he describes it and and wow. the reason why and it's not because there was a lot of really great people that auditioned for New York Voices I'm sure for that slot yeah but I think it was also because because I was a writer and I had music and I was I I this is what I like to say to your generation is in this instance I was ready for this job yeah I was I had all of what I needed to get this job. I had, and some. Yeah. I had things in my bag that they had not even thought they might want from the person that's coming in, right? Right, yeah. So the one thing that I think landed that job for me too was my song, Do You Want to Know What I Want? Which was recorded on on the first record. It's a ridiculously poppy, absurd pop tune with close harmony jazzy little harmony and I think Darman like heard that and they heard that and they were like that would be a really also a really great a great tune so it's great that she's a songwriter yeah um so and arrange you know all those things so I think those things all helped in landing landing the gig thank you guys so much for listening to part one of my conversation with the incredible Lauren Kinnan Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning for part two.